All right, I said I am. <laughs> so uh, this week, hopefully, I won't leave it on as I go sit down and I say to myself silently, as I said out loud last week, oh, I'm too fat for these seats. I don't know if you heard that or not, but all of our friends online did. So yeah, now you know, I'm too fat for the seats. Um, so I've got a story for you this morning. Very quickly, I just want to just kind of let you know, number one, I'm human. Number two, I make lots of mistakes. Now, I know that's no mystery to you, but I like to at least let you know that I'm aware of it too. So as when I was in the eighth grade, this was a very important year for me um, as, as being a ladies' man and all that I was in the eighth grade. Um, so I got a very important Christmas present that I asked for that year. And uh, McKinley's got a picture of it. See if you recognize that. Does that ring a bell to any of you uh, kids from the 80s? The Ralph Lauren. That's before they gave them names like green, blue, or red. That's all they had. And it was enough. Ralph Lauren Polo, it was the, the fragrance in the 80s for guys. Everything else fell way, way below. And that Christmas, me and my buddy, you can take it off the screen now because it makes me want to go buy some. Me and my buddy, I was in the eighth grade. Um, I can't remember what grade he was in, the eighth or seventh, I can't remember. And uh, we both got, our, our families both got us each the bottle of Ralph Lauren Polo Cologne. We got the king size because we knew we were going to need it. And we did. Now, our youth group, that the week after Christmas, it was on New Year's Eve, we had a lock-in that night. There was about 300 of, of us students at that lock-in, uh, but only two carried backpacks that on the inside of that backpack was the king-size Ralph Lauren polo. It was in there, and here's why. Because, you know, we were in these early stages of lady manness, and we didn't know how much you needed, so we doused up before we got there, and we didn't realize this. <laughs> Cole's already laughing. I, I don't, it's not working. We've had all this money, my family had all this money for this great cologne, and it, it's not working. So we quickly grabbed our bags and peeled off to the... Uh, restroom where we loaded up again and we walk back in the room not realizing as we're passing people they're kind of falling out they're just kind of dropping like flies as we go by we thought it was just the manliness that eighth grade manliness walking up in that room no it turns out for those of you who don't already know this you kind of get used to the fragrance that you have whether you stink or whether you smell amazing or whether you've put on too much, you just kind of get used to it. Have you ever watched Survivor? They don't know they stink on Survivor. They stink. I had on all this polo. I had no idea. My nose got so used to it. I had no idea. So when we went back for our reload, which was actually enough for the rest of the night and the whole next week, <laughs> we didn't have to ever put any on again. We really saved uh, a little bit goes a long way. And my little eighth grade ladies man kid did not know this, but I learned it the tough way as all the ladies we were trying to impress were falling out, right. not because of our manliness. Turns out, turns out we weren't ladies men after all. We did not know the basics. Yeah. So yeah. who goes? A little bit goes a long way there, Cole. <laughs> I don't exactly know how I'm going to follow that. I've got to be honest with you. I didn't know what that story was going to be. I had no idea. Uh, all I knew is there was going to be some type of a Ralph Lauren polo story. I didn't know if it was going to be a shirt. I didn't know if it was going to be like pants. Apparently it's cologne. Um, and so I, I don't know how I, I can follow that, but I think we can all somewhat get on the same page of what he's talking about. Uh, we, I'm going to say we because I'm going to just assume we're kind of all on the same page on this statement. Maybe when you were younger, maybe as we've gotten older, I still kind of do it. I got to be honest. Uh, have you, you ever looked under the Christmas tree? Okay, Christmas time's coming around. You ever looked under the Christmas tree, whether it be as a child, as an adolescent, as an adult, maybe even, and you saw under the Christmas tree there was a small present, you know, the small 
present under the Christmas tree. And you saw it and you didn't really know what it was. You didn't even know who it was to. You just really wanted it not to be for you, right? Because it's little. You don't want the little, Christ, uh, the little Christmas present. But you went up there anyway. You checked it out and sure enough, boom, it had your name on it. Oh, that's not cool, you know? And you look over next to you and you see these massive presents and it's got your brother's name on it or your sister's name on it and you think to yourself, this is not right. This is not cool. This is not the way that my Christmas is supposed to go. My brother, my sister, they have these massive boxes um, and I've got this little bitty thing under the Christmas tree. And But... Maybe you even said something to your mom, and you're like, I kind of don't understand. I don't get it. And mom said something along the lines of, well, good things come in small packages. Now, look, as a child, I knew that was trash. I did. I knew when I heard those type things, that is, mom, come on. You're not, I'm going to be honest with you. As I've gotten older, it's still trash. There's not any, any truth to that at all. I just don't, I'm, not, I'm sorry. But mom would say something like, good things come in small packages. And you thought, okay, right, sounds good. But let's be honest here. If good things come in small packages, well, then more good things can come in even larger packages because we can put lots of little things in a big package, you know. Maybe I'm the only one, but that's the way my mind still works. So I'm just going to be honest. Uh, it's, 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 Kind of like, you know, I love hot stuff. I love hot sauce. I love hot peppers. I eat jalapeno peppers seemingly daily sometimes. Um, and, and with hot things like hot peppers, a little dab will do you, right? You don't need a lot. Now, as you use, have more, and maybe it takes a little bit more. But for the most part, it doesn't take much. Again, that, you know, good things come in small packages. A little dab will do you when it comes to a hot pepper. As Harley explained, I thought very eloquently, great job, cologne, same way. A little dab will do you. A little bit goes a long way. Now, the smallest child in the house is, is the same way, right? The little guy? Good things come in small packages. So maybe mom got it somewhat right, and it works great as a motivator. That's a really pithy saying to motivate me as a young person to be okay with that itty-bitty present under the box or that not using as Harley apparently did, the whole bottle of cologne or whatever the case may be. It's a good motivator. But as far as a life strategy, that mentality really is not very good. A little dab will do you. Good things come in small packages. That's not a really good life strategy. It's a good motivator, but it's not really a good way to go about our life. You think about it. You show up at work, okay? And you go to the boss and you say, hey, listen, I know we're only 25 minutes from quitting time. And I know I'm just showing up, and I know I'm just walking in. I know I'm just punching the clock, but let's be honest, man. A little dabble, do you? Right here, right? Probably not going to go over all that well. Or maybe we have a bride standing at the altar, right? We're about to have this wonderful experience of holy matrimony, blah, 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 blah. And the bride's standing at the altar. And, and she says something along the lines to her husband, look, I'm going to marry you. We're going to live the rest of our lives together. We're going to do all of that stuff, but I've got to be honest with you right now. I've got to be up front in this moment. See, my friends over there, they're probably going to get the majority of my life, not you. But remember, when it comes to me as your, as your wife, Hey, a little bit goes a long way. I mean, let's be honest, a little of me is worth a lot more than a lot of them. I'm just going to give you enough. I'm just going to give you a little bit of me. Kind of that, that big package right here, that's going to go to my friends. That big package right there, that's going to go to my personal life. And, and boss man, this is what you're going to get. You're going to get just enough, just a little something. Now, we do that very often when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. At least I know I have in my experience. We do that very often in our, my relationship. I do that in my relationship with Jesus. I, I say things or I, I act as, as if I'm saying things like, hey, I've lived this week the way I wanted to. 
I said what I wanted to. I watched what I wanted to. I listened to what I wanted to. I went where I wanted to go. I spent what I wanted to spend on what I wanted to spend it on. I've done basically everything that I wanted, and I've got to be honest with you. There's not enough left to fill up these large boxes. I don't have enough of me left. I've already pieced myself out over the course of my week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, so on and so forth. I've there's just not much left. This is all I have left. This is all that's left of what I originally began my week with. I've got just enough to give you that box, that, that big one. And again, we go back to our experience as a child, and we know, man, them big boxes are a heck of a lot more excited, exciting to be wrapped up under the tree. I mean, that's... That's the truth. And Jesus, this is what you're going to get. Because I've already given everything else away. But after all, remember, Jesus, let's don't forget, Mom told me this, it must be true. Great things come in small packages, right? Again, maybe a motivator on earth, but probably not a great life strategy to go by. It sounds okay, but according to God, we have it backwards. And that's the whole topic of this series. Ouch! Backwards. We've got it backwards. Now there's two chapters in the entire New Covenant. They're, they're in the book of Acts that do a wonderful job of summarizing the opposite of what we tend to do. Giving the best away and leaving what's left over for God. There's, there's two chapters in the New Covenant that, that talk about one person in particular. Now, this is the only place that you're going to find any mention of this individual. That doesn't mean that, that this is all that this individual did. It just means it's the only two chapters that we have recorded of this individual's life. Um, and these two chapters pretty much just summarize a man who got it right, who did not get it backwards. He didn't get the big stuff for everyone else and leave the little stuff for who mattered the most. The two chapters, again, it's all we know about this person. Um, and we find out about this person that he actually gives everything he has. He literally empties himself out. He finishes empty. And they took it all. They took everything. Now, I'm going to summarize just real quick the, the beginning part of the chapter. It's in Acts chapter 6. And what happened was... It, Relatively quickly after Jesus ascended into heaven and, and the disciples, the apostles and the, and, and the followers of Jesus were left on earth, kind of wondering, looking around like, what do we do now? And they started to, to get organized and, and, and doing, uh, following the commission that Jesus had given them. They begin to realize that they were growing so fast. That church uh, that Jesus had started was growing so fast that there just wasn't an, weren't enough administrators, there weren't enough leaders to be able to handle all of the needs. Specifically, there was a problem with um, widows were not getting fed. And as a result of that, they got together and they said, hey, we need to get some people together that their job, that they kind of take over some of these responsibilities. And in Acts chapter 6, verses uh, 1 through 6, we find out that there are 12 individuals who are chosen to serve in that capacity. Not for the purpose of being famous. In fact, with the exception of one of them, we really don't even think about them. They're, they're an afterthought on the page, just a name on the page of history. But there was one in particular that got a little bit more information, talked about him, and his name was Stephen. His name was Stephen. He was one of the twelve who was chosen to do a very specific purpose in the early church to fill a very important need. Now, the end result of all of this, um, of, of everyone serving with everything they had, giving their all, finishing empty, and serving in an area where they fit best and could make the most difference is the next few verses in these chapters. And again, we have this incredible example out of the life of Stephen, of someone who didn't get it backwards. He actually got it exactly in the correct order. So we're going to jump in to, to Acts. Now, we don't know for 100% sure who wrote Acts. Um, it's possible it could have been a few different people, but kind of the prevailing thought is Acts was probably written by Luke. 
The same person that wrote what we talked about last week. Remember Luke, he's a physician. He takes these copious notes of the he writes incredible detail about what he experienced, what he witnessed, and what he received from firsthand accounts. And so uh, Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 7. This is what it says, verse 7. So God's message continued to spread. This is after Jesus' ascension. Continued to spread, and the number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. So... The apostles did what they could do with, the, with, with their all. They did everything they could do. They finished empty. And Stephen did the same thing. We're going to find out here in just a second. Stephen did everything that he could with everything that he had. He pretty much gave everything out of the big box. Not the little one. He finished empty. And then we hear now about Stephen, who was chosen as one of the, the twelve, in verse 8. Acts chapter 6, verse 8. And this is what it says. It says, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. So he's a pretty, pretty significant. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were, uh, they were Jews from Serene, Alexandria, uh, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. So basically, you've got... Uh, these people, they come together and they debate Stephen. They, they just, they get into this. Because that, again, that was culturally in that day, that was a talking was, and, and debating and having conversation was a very big part of this culture. And so that's what they did. They get into this conversation. They really get kind of into an argument. In verse 10, none of them, none of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So apparently Stephen, he knows what to say, he knows how to say it, and he delivers it very well and as a result of that it says in verse 11 that they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen saying we heard him blaspheme Moses and even God now in the Jewish culture in the first century Jewish culture you could do a lot of stuff and get away with it you could not blaspheme Moses and you could not blaspheme God that was a uh -uh. you do this and we have problems that are going to have to be Tended to very quickly. And so they said that that's exactly what Moses did. He blasphemed, or excuse me, Stephen. He blasphemed Moses and he blasphemed God. And as a result of this lie, this roused the people, the elders, the teachers of religious law, so that they arrested Stephen and they brought him before the high council. There are consequences for doing this. This lie that supposedly Stephen had done, there's consequences. He's brought before the high council. And he's basically put on trial. Now, we jump again. We continue going now. We're going to go into verse 13. And we find out that the lying witnesses, so there's more than one, said, This man, speaking of Stephen, one of the twelve, one of the individuals who were chosen to do a very specific job, did it very well. The, the, the early church was growing as a result of work of people like Stephen. And Stephen, in the process, was finishing empty. They say that this man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. He's speaking against all of these things that we hold so dear. These traditions that we hold so dear. Verse 14, we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs of Moses handed down to us. At this point in verse 15, Everyone in the high council stared at Stephen. This is so cool. This is one of those little blips on history, blips in the New Covenant, that I wished the author would have given us a little bit more information, but he doesn't. They stared at Stephen because apparently his face became as bright as an angel's. Something happened. Something of significance was going on in this environment. Now jumping to Acts chapter 7, verse 1. Then the high priest asked Stephen, very simple question, are these accusations true? Are these accusations true? All of these things that these individuals are talking about, are saying about you, are these things true? Now Stephen at this moment has an option. He has a choice. He has a choice. He could go one of two directions. One direction probably, probably saves his life. I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. Stephen dies. But one direction that he takes probably could have saved his life. 
he could have kind of left all the big stuff in the fun boxes and said, I'm going to save this, and I'm going to give Jesus just enough. Again, spoiler alert, that's not the direction that Stephen chose to go. Stephen will then go on. 50-verse diatribe. That, that is some of the most interesting, to me, some of the most interesting words in the entire New Covenant. For about 50 verses, Stephen will trace the history of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob and of Joseph and of Moses and of Joshua and of King David and of King Solomon. I mean, he'll basically give them, these leaders in this culture, he will basically give them a detailed history lesson. And he'll just kind of say, I know what I'm talking about. I'm on the same level playing field as you. I know the culture of which I'm speaking to and speaking about. I know of what I'm talking about. And he goes through this long list several times in this conversation or in this, uh, in this monologue, if you will. Stephen will directly quote from the Old Covenant writing several times. He'll go back in and he'll say things like, the, the, the scriptures say this or they say that, much like what Jesus actually did in his time on earth. He would use the Old Covenant in his conversations with these Jewish leaders. And then as he gets to the end of his monologue, these 50 verses, he ends with a zinger. He ends with a, with, with a big bang. He ends with a flourish. I mean, it's almost like he kind of really gets going, you know. And Stephen really, really gets going. And in Acts chapter 7, verses 51 through 60, Stephen makes some very, very poignant statements. But it's not so much about what he says that we want to focus on. It's really about what he gave as a result of what he said. This is what he says, verse 51. I'm just going to read it all the way through. Now, you remember the, the environment, the atmosphere, what's going on, why he's here, who he's speaking to, what's going on around him, the choice that he has to make. This is what he says. You stubborn people. <laughs> you stubborn people. You're heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. <laughs> I mean, he's getting pretty to the point here. He says in verse 53, you deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. Then, according to verse 54, the reaction is exactly what we would expect a first century um, religious Jewish individual the way we would expect him to respond. Verse 54. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation. They shook their fist at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. He saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right. He then told them, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And at that statement, then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting, and they rushed at him. I mean, they almost throw a, a temper tantrum like you would expect to see from a child. I mean, they throw their hands over their ears. It's almost like you can imagine, you know, la, 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 I'm not listening to you. And they rushed him, they grabbed him, they dragged him out of the city, according to verse 58, and they stoned him. They, they, they killed him. They, they put him to death. His accusers took off their coats, which we don't have time to talk about that. Uh, this was significant. And they laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. We're going to be reintroduced to Saul pretty quick. You're going to know him better as a man by the name of Paul. They laid their coats at his feet and basically saying what we just did was righteous. It was okay. It was acceptable. And Paul, Saul, apparently said, yeah, this is cool. Verse 59, as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them for this sin. And with that, he died. And that's it. That's Stephen. That's the, all, that's the story. We have two chapters. That's all we have. He died. He gave his all, everything he had. He poured himself out. He could have stopped at any time. I mean, think about it. Stephen had many opportunities at any time to stop 
the obvious direction that this event was going. He could have said, wait a second, fellas, hold on. You know what? More I think about it, you know, don't take what I'm saying too seriously. I was just joking. I don't really believe uh, everything that I said. You guys don't really need to worry about me. He could have done that. He could have stopped and probably reversed course of the eventual death that he was going to experience. He could have said, hey, guys, y'all are fine. It's all good the way you've been operating for the last few thousand years. You guys just keep on doing you. You don't have to worry about me. I'm going to go on my way. I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to stop uh, giving of myself in such a way to cause any type of distractions. I am not going to be a hindrance to you guys going forward. Don't worry about me. He could have done that. He could have said, hey, I've done enough. I've done enough. I've been at this thing for a long time. I have done a lot of good stuff. I've done a lot of good stuff. Man, I've, I've been a pretty significant impact in this first century church, this, this Jesus following thing, this thing that at that time they called the way. Hey, I've been a pretty big deal over the course of the last several weeks, months, maybe years. I've probably done enough. Stephen could have said, I'm out. I'm not giving up my life for this. I'll do a lot of stuff. I'm not crossing that line. I'm going to take a break now. I'm going to go sit down on the sideline, and I'm going to watch everybody else work. He could have done that. I might have would have done that. I probably would have done that. But he didn't. Stephen gave everything that he had. He held absolutely nothing back. He did not keep the best for himself, and give what was left over to Jesus. He didn't save anything for himself or for a rainy day. He emptied himself out completely. Every time that we see Stephen step onto the pages of the New Covenant, which, granted, Harley is only a, couple, a few yeah. times, Stephen finished empty. Yeah, no doubt. So there's Stephen... But now we want to flash back. So let's go a little earlier in history, about two years earlier. And we're going to see this little snapshot of Jesus with an interaction that he saw and an interaction he had with his followers. And here's how that goes down. And again, this is by Luke. We know this for sure. This is uh, Luke's uh, uh, study and Luke's cataloging and writing down of all this history. And here you have it in Luke 21. Uh, starting with verse 1, it says this, While Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people. So obviously, these were people, lots of money, Jesus doesn't lie, rich people dropping their gifts into the collection box. Then, so these rich people coming by and they are dropping in loads of money. All right, that's what's happening. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. Think of it as a penny, a widow's mite, a penny. Just think of it. Just dropped in a couple of pennies, all right, compared to all of this money that went in. And here's what Jesus says about this, very significant. He says, I tell you the truth. He's talking to uh, his uh, disciples and those who were, who were with him observing this. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them. She gave more out of those two pennies than all of them put together. It says in verse 4, For they have given a tiny portion from their surplus, all that extra that they had, and they grabbed a tiny, it looked like a whole lot, but there was a whole lot more over here. They gave a tiny portion of a tiny part of that surplus. But she, as poor as she is, she gave those two pennies. She has given everything she has. Now we just can't miss this. Jesus is setting up a principle here. Not just a good idea. Jesus is setting up a principle. It's how Jesus views this life and the life that we've been given in relation to what we give. 
Jesus says we've got two options here. We can live as we want with all of this. We can then choose to give God a tip, like at a restaurant. Oh, okay, let's see, let's calculate, I've got all this, uh, I'll give you this, God. Here's a tip, here's a tip. That's what Jesus is saying. It's as if we're just saying, okay, Jesus, let's see, I'm going to, here's all, this is all mine, this is all mine, this is my life, I'm going to throw you a bone. There you go, Jesus. It's as if we're saying, how little can I give of myself and still be seen by others and possibly by you, God, as a giver. How little can I do and still be seen as a giver? And then when we're talking about giving now, we're talking about our whole selves. We're talking about our time, all that time we have, 24 hours a day. We're talking about our time. We're talking about our skills, the way that God has gifted each one of us in different ways. We're talking about um, uh, the, our time, our skills, and yeah, we have to include money too. Everything that makes up who we are as a person. And Jesus is saying, of all of you, we have an option to just say, God, here's a tip. We can be a God tipper. Okay, let's see. Uh, I've got this much left here. Um, that's my surplus. I've already spent a whole bunch of my life on me, but I've got some left over. Here's my surplus. And of what I have left over... Uh, let's see, it's the, the things I do, the time I have, even the money that I use, all of this. is God, this, Heavenly Father, of all my life, I want you to know this. Is for you. I know. I should. I shouldn't have, right? I know. I know. Oh, I know. But I did, and it's all yours. Don't weep. Don't weep. You're gonna get me weeping. It's all your. I promise. It's all. That is all for you. I. I, I saved that for you. Here's a, a pinch of my time. It's all yours. Most of it. Here's a pinch of my energy. That's for you too. Here's a pinch of my money. Don't spend it all in one place. Here's a pinch of my skills, and they're a lot. There you go. Jesus, pinch of my life. After all, Jesus, I'm, I'm like just a really good dip. Just a pinch will do you. Thank you. <laughs> Just a pinch. That's all you need, Jesus. Here you go. After all, it's the thought that counts, isn't it? Or, Jesus says, we can view it the way Jesus views it. Giving. Not just giving until it hurts. Mm -mm. Beyond the hurt. Because every time when we give God our all, every time it hurts. 
Jesus gives us a little bit more information about his view on what we give of our lives. Again, we find this written by Luke, the same guy. And we find this actually a little earlier than the example of when Jesus was watching the widow give everything she had. And here's what he has to say. Luke writes it down. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. This is Jesus speaking. Then Jesus said to the crowd. He said to the crowd. So there's a, there's a crowd of people. He wants to be very clear. And so here's what he says. If any of you, and I love the word any, because Jesus is saying, of everyone who is there, if any of you, we cannot lessen what he said and we cannot make it greater, but he said, if any of you wants to be my follower to the crowd, Here's what he says. You must turn from your selfish ways. Let's pause there for a minute. If there could be, possibly, we cannot oversimplify it, I guess, but if there just could be one main problem for the United States of America, it is not who is president, it is us. If there is one main problem in the United States of America, it is that two, those two words, selfish ways. And Jesus says, if any of you, he's speaking to the crowd, wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Now, what is a selfish way? I think we all have a pretty good idea, but let, let's, let's give just expound on that just one more thought deeper. A selfish way says, I'm living for right now. This moment, maybe this season. A season of time or a moment of time. I'm living for right now. And I'm living right now for myself. In this moment, for myself. In this season, for myself. Saying what I want to say. Doing what I want to do. Going where I want to go. Spending what I want to spend and it's all my choice about myself, my life. And in this moment, I'm thinking about what will benefit me or what I want to do. Selfish ways. And if he says we must leave those selfish ways, then maybe on the other end, if selfish ways are over here, maybe on the other end of that spectrum, if we're going to leave that, then where are we going? Perhaps where we're headed is... Not thinking about right now and what I want right now. Perhaps part of this is learning to live not right now based upon what I want, what, what is for me, myself, and I, but looking further down the road toward eternity and thinking about what is best there, not for me, but for God's plan, where he's headed, where he's going, where everything is going, looking toward eternity. What is best for them toward eternity? Not for me right now. And Jesus says to the crowd, any one of you guys, he says to the crowd that he's addressing, if you want to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Now, I know that we think we don't have selfish ways. It's because we're Americans. And we've grown up with everything being about us. So, of course, we don't know. We put on too much cologne. We have no idea 
that we stink of selfish ways. But Jesus said we got to turn from those ways. And here's what he says, another descriptive here. What else does that mean? He then says, take up your cross daily. Now, I, I want to remind you, this is in chapter 9 of Luke. We're not yet really close to where Jesus is going to die on the cross, and they don't really, even though it has been prophesied, no one's really putting it together. And when they hear Jesus say, you must take up your cross, they knew what a cross was. They knew what a horrible death. No one got up on the cross and was like, okay, you've been punished enough, come on down. They knew what the cross was. And the Romans did not invent death by crucifixion, but they perfected it. They knew. They may not have understood what Jesus was saying, but they knew what a cross was. And Jesus just told them, you got to turn from your selfish ways, and you got to take up your cross daily. Now, we know, because we have history on our side, we know how the prophecies led up to this, and Jesus did exactly what the prophecy said, and Jesus died on the cross. We know that. Now, when we hear, you must take up your cross daily, maybe we have a different understanding than his first hearers did at this point in history. Jesus just said we have to turn from our selfish ways. Then he says, take up your cross daily. Now, a cross is for nothing but death. And perhaps Jesus is saying that we must pick up our own cross, crawl upon it, and there we must die every single day to our selfish ways. My selfish ways. He said it's required. It's required. No longer do we get to look at our lives and look at our surplus and say, what do I want to do with it? What am I going to do with my time today? What am I going to do with my money today? What am I going to do with my skills today? What am I going to do? No longer. Jesus says, we die to that. It's required. We die to it. The question is no longer, what am I going to do with? But the question is, God... What do you want with my surplus of time, not my pinch? What do you want with my surplus of money? And you say, I don't have a surplus of money. Have you seen my bank account? Okay, I have not. A few questions for us. I'm going to answer them too. Has anyone bought shoes in the past five years? Raise your hand. With me, please participate. Here we go. Raise your shoes. Go ahead and leave your hand up if the answer continues to be yes. And if not, then if one of them is yes, then join us. How many of us here have bought something from Amazon? Not the Amazon, just Amazon.com. Keep your hand up. How many of us have purchased something in the past five years at Walmart? Is that everybody? Okay, we can put our hands down. But I just want to welcome you to the world market. You see, Jesus was talking to people who were trading. One man would go out and fish, and he would trade those fish for uh, some building supplies. He would trade them for some uh, uh, firewood, might trade them for some bread that the baker made or whatever. They traded locally, at best regionally. They traded. It was a small market. Now, if you were going to compare what the baker made to what the fisherman made, 
It was a small market. It was easy to do that. I welcome you, fellow Americans, to the world market. Because when you buy something from Walmart, regardless of what they said in the 90s, when you buy something from Walmart, there's a good chance a lot of it was made in another country. And listen, I know we, we badmouth that, but I want you to know what you've done. When you buy that, then you, some of that money has gone to pay that person in that other country. You have helped put food on the table for a person in another country. You are part of the world market. When you bought those shoes that a child made in Thailand, guess what? You're part of the world market. So am I. We are all part of the world market. Now, if we are part of the world market because of some of the money that we spend, almost everything you buy on Amazon, not quite, but most, came from another country. You see those boxes? I won't be honest. Those are mine. <laughs> another country. Everything that came in this box, another country. I don't know about this little one. Might be a gift for me. I don't know what was in it. We are part of the world market. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Just think about this. If you made last month, if you made or had income or access to more than $2 a day in your household. More than $2 a day. If you had more than that. So more than, let's say, $60 last month. If somehow you had access to more than $60 last month, you are among the most wealthy people in the entire world. But you say, I don't have much. World market. And Jesus is not looking at us and saying, yeah, according to what Trump gives, yeah, you don't give much. Jesus is looking at the widow with the two pennies who gave everything she had. Everything she had. We are part of the world market and on the world stage, we, every single person in this room, we, we are among the wealthiest people in the world. And when we say, oh, but I don't have much. I don't have surplus in my life. The rest of the world laughs at us. Jesus said, turn from your selfish ways. He's speaking to me too. Take up your cross. He's speaking to me too. And upon that cross is where we die to ourselves. And what I want in this moment, what I want to take of all this surplus and use for me and mine, my time, my skills, my energy, my money. And Jesus, here you go. This is for you. Jesus says we must turn from our selfish ways, take up our cross daily. And then he says, follow me. Follow me. Here's the bottom line today. God either gets our best, or we get our best, and God gets what's left. God either gets the best of our lives, or we do. And God gets what's left. Jesus goes on to explain this further. In verse 24, he says, If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. It's not maybe. You might lose it. He said, you will. 
I know America thinks they're a Christian nation, or they did back in the 50s, but were we really, were we really ever? Did we ever really do this? Turn from our selfish ways, deny, take up our cross daily, and follow Him? Were we ever really a Christian nation? If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give your life, life, not life. Your life. If you give your life up for my sake, he said, you will save it. And then he says, what's it going to benefit? Really? Let's, let's just be honest. Jesus says, what is it going to benefit if you gain everything out there? What's it going to benefit you? If you gain it all, the whole world, he says, but you yourself are lost or destroyed. Wow. How did we get it so Backwards. Being all in. As God requires. Is giving all. Not until it hurts. But giving past the hurt. And that is giving God our best. Our all. You know Jesus could have said. Hey guys. You know we've been at this about three years now. And. Man, I've already given you so much. I mean, just the fact that I left heaven and my spiritual, amazing, perfect, perfect world, I left that to come down here. And not only that, but I, I left my godlike body, whatever that was. And I put on this lower quality flesh and blood, and I have been down here with you guys, kicking it around. Haven't, uh, let's be honest, haven't I already given, in light of that, haven't I already given enough? So can we just call it good for now? You know, uh, listen, I'm God. A little bit goes a long way. No need for me to really get tortured. I know what's coming. No need for that. You know what? Here's what we'll do. I'm going to get with God the Father and and God the Spirit, and we're just going to have a powwow, and we're going to kind of figure out something else out. So for now, I'm out of here, guys. Great knowing you. I'll catch up with you later. He said. Because after that torture that he received, that was nearly life-ending torture. After that torture, he then went to the cross. And here's what Luke records about that history in chapter 23. Verse 32, two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to the place called the skull, they nailed him, Jesus, to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified. One on his right, have that backwards, right, one on his left. Verse 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Now listen, that is what all in looks like for Jesus. That is not giving until it hurts. That is giving beyond the hurt, through the hurt. All the way to the other side of the hurt. And this this happened about one year before Stephen and the story, the historical record that Cole read. One year. One year later, we have Stephen's history. That's what Stephen did too. And actually... As Cole read for us, that's basically what Stephen said as well. Something along the lines of, God, forgive them, 
Don't hold this sin against them. Now Luke goes on. Back to Jesus. Verse 46. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last on the cross. Now, Jesus, who gave his all, expects my all. He doesn't just think it would be nice if we decided he's not okay with a pinch. He doesn't think, oh, this would be better, but I'll take a pinch. He expects, my, if I'm going to follow him, if I'm going to be numbered among his followers. You see, this is Jesus who rejected people who just tried to give God a tip. Don't just give Jesus a pinch of your life. Jesus gave his absolute best. He didn't give until it hurt. He went through the hurt, past the pain, on the other side. How did I get this so backward for so long? How do we think that we can approach God and come up with some kind of system to figure out, oh, here's, here's my life, and how much of this do you need, Jesus, for me to be in? I'm going to give you enough, just enough. Just enough so I don't have to give you my best. Just enough so I don't have to give you my all. But Jesus said giving our lives to him hurts. Tipping is painless. But a tip, a life, giving a tip out of your life to God does not make you a follower of Jesus. He requires our all. Jesus did not say anywhere anything like this. Okay, crowd, all right, here we are. I'm glad you're here today. Nice of you to join me. Glad you made it. If you want to follow me, then I, here's what I'd like you to do. I want you to figure out how you want to live your life, and then I want you just to go live it. Go live your, I want you to be happy. Go live your life and be as happy as you can. Go figure it out. Go live it. With everything that it takes, live that life and go be happy. And then I want you to look and see what is left, whatever is left. And then from what is left, I want you to look at your life and decide exactly how much are you willing to give me. And guess what? I'm Jesus and I'll take it. We got a deal. Because I need people on my team I need them on my team, so I'm going to take what I can get. I'll just take whatever you offer me. That's what I'll take. However much, however little, I'll take it. And I will take your little, and guess what's going to happen? I'm going to break it and bless it and make it multiply. You give me your little, and I'm going to bless you. Oh! I'm going to bless you and make your life bigger. I'm going to expand your boundaries. Pray that prayer. Pray it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you big. We're going to roll down like Trump. Oh, it's going to be big. Just give me a little bit. I need people on my team. I need people on my team. Just give me what you're willing. I'll take it. Might even bless you. And if I bless you, after you give me a little bit, then... Man, I bet you'll really be on my team then. We're not going to find anything like that anywhere in the New Covenant. It's because it's not there. That is the American Jesus that does not exist anywhere. 
except in our minds and in America. That Jesus doesn't exist. That offer does not exist. But people have bought into it. They said, okay, how little can I give and still be considered a giver of my life? No. He never said that. God either gets our best or we get our best and we try to give him what's left. But that's not what Jesus called for. Jesus says this, and I quote, If anyone wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. If you're trying to hold it back in reserve, this part's for me, I'll give this part for you, but I'm saving this part for me, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And Jesus says, and after all, what does it benefit? If you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost or destroyed? Now all of that to say, we have gotten this backwards. Really, really backwards. And that ouch... It's not an ouch because giving hurts. It does. That ouch is ouch because we got a whole lot of people in the United States of America that think they're on the gravy train to heaven. And they're tipping God all the way there on that train. But they've never given anything to God beyond a tip of their life. You remember this saying that Jesus said? There will be many on that day that say to me, Lord, Lord, I did all this, I gave you all that. What does Jesus say? It's too late, depart from me. God, I never knew you. Oh, you're talking about that pinch. Oh, the pinch. The little dabble do you, Jesus. The, oh, small things come in great packages. Great things come in small packages, right? You say, I, I'm sorry, I didn't know you. Here's what I, I would just, I would love it if you would do this with me this week. I'm going to do this as well. Will you this week, last week we asked you to read the first seven chapters of this history that Luke recorded. Will you read the next seven with us this week? Luke chapters 8 through 14. Will you read that? Not even every day, just kind of a little bit every day. Just read through those seven chapters. Hey, we've got seven days in the week. Maybe, would you maybe do a chapter a day? Starting with eight. Ending in 14. But here's what I'm asking you to do. Because this is only a discussion starter between you and God. Because I don't know your heart. And I don't know what you have offered to God. You may have given God your all. Or we may have given God a pinch. That's between you and God. But will you join me and read those seven, ver seven chapters, Luke chapter 8 through 14. And as you read those, here's what we need to do. We need to look for, as we read it, everywhere we can find Jesus giving. And just take note of that. And then everywhere that Jesus has some kind of expectation on us, would you take notice of that? So take notice of anywhere Jesus is giving in those seven chapters, anywhere Jesus is expecting something from us, and then ask God this. Have a conversation with God. God, based upon what I have read in these seven chapters, will you help me answer this question, God? Not Harley. Not Cole, 
God, will you help me answer this question about me? And I'm going to ask the same thing of God about me. And here's the question. God, getting real here, God, am I a God tipper or am I all in? Friends, let's not get this backwards. Let's not gain the world and lose our very soul. When it comes to giving, giving of our lives, our time, our energy, everything that makes us us, when it comes to giving, a little dab doesn't do it. A little bit of us, when it comes to giving, does not go a long way. Because either God gets our best, or we get our best. And we just leave Him with a little pinch of what's left. Let's pray. God, we, we come to you because of your words, Jesus, humbled. So often we have lived our lives giving ourselves the best of ourselves and just offered you a little bit of what's left over. But Jesus, you clearly said that if we want to follow you, that we have to turn from our selfish ways, not as defined by our culture. God, we have to turn from our selfish ways the way you define it. And we have to crawl upon that cross of self-denial and deny ourselves, die to ourselves daily. And then we can follow you. Because if we try to hang on to our lives, Jesus, you said that we're going to lose them. But if we will give you our lives and everything that makes us us, then Jesus, you'll save that life. After all, what are we going to benefit if we gain everything out there around us, but we ourselves are lost or destroyed? So Jesus, may we read those seven chapters and may we have a conversation with you, Jesus. And will you help us learn, have we been living a life of tipping you with the leftovers in our lives? Or have we given into the hurt, through the hurt, beyond the hurt? All the way to the other side. Jesus, we need your help. And it's in the name of Jesus, you who died for us. It's in your name that we pray these things, Jesus. Amen.